Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to the last scared to death of 2022. Creeps, peepers, Roberts, and Annabelle's Happy New Year. Hell yes. I'm so done with 2022. <laughs> 2022. Coming to an end as we record oh, this. What a year. Finally. I'm Dan. You're uh, Lindsay. I'm just going to answer for you because you paused too long. Uh, hope everyone has been having a great holiday season. I have just two quick announcements this week, and I don't think you have any. I have nothing to say. Okay. Uh, if you're looking for a new movie to watch, check out our buddy Doug Mellard's new film, The Disappearance of Toby Blackwell. I'm so proud of him. It has been cleaning up at uh, a, like um, festivals, festivals f- film festivals all over the country this past year. Like, I know. Won so many awards. Uh, it's a conspiracy slash COVID comedy. They shot it during lockdown um, and like where no one was around each other, but it doesn't feel that way uh, mm-hmm. just based on the trailer. You can check out the trailer on YouTube. It's out now. Uh, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube movies, cable and satellite, video on demand, etc. cetera. Uh, I do have a small role in it playing a complete maniac. Uh, and I hope you watch it and you- love it. You're playing a role? <laughs> it was, I just played myself. Okay, that sounds mm-hmm. more accurate. Uh, yeah, but very, very happy for Doug. Yeah, he's a good guy. Really good. And then uh, just added second shows in a couple theaters, a couple extra theaters for the Burn It All Down stand-up tour this coming year. Added second shows in Sacramento and Philadelphia, uh, Spokane, Boise, St. Louis, Kansas City, all coming up in January. And not many tickets left for any of those shows. So if you want to get those, get those fast. Uh, Next up after that, Sacramento, Denver, San Antonio, and Dallas. And then there's more after that. All the tickets can be found at dancummins.tv. So very excited for that tour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to sleep like a little bit over the break. And then, boom, hit the ground running. Hit the ground running. And I'm literally going to burn all of it to the ground. Okay. So it's going to be super fun. Like you're going to do the show and then I'm going to come out. Just burn down the theater? Yeah. All right, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm just imagining like that. <laughs> you burn down every theater after your show. <laughs> It'll be the most financially detrimental. That's uh, it. Your career's over. Yep. Career, yeah. I don't think I'll make uh, make it through the tour. I don't be know in, why it's so funny. Be in prison. 
and have a lot of debt. I somehow like frame it so that the arson is only your fault, not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are the the last fan-submitted horror stories you have for us this year, Lulu? I have a uh an interesting uh lifelong uh, maybe attachment maybe a haunting it seems like maybe it moves from one place to the next but maybe it's not maybe it's just bad luck of ending up in one haunted place after another yeah uh just some like weird creepy happenstances and then my second story which we haven't really talked about lately is a is a sleep paralysis story but it's hard to tell is it sleep paralysis or is it something more Okay, those both sound scary. Spoopy. I have two shorter ones today. Short but not so sweet. Uh, That's the... so weird. I wrote that in... You wrote short but not so sweet? I literally... Oh my God. Like on my intro for one of the stories, I think the second one, mm-hmm. uh, I said, this one is short and not so sweet. Oh man. What is happening? Same, same brain. Oh no, we're becoming one person. We're mind melding. <laughs> uh, the first story I have comes from a supposedly haunted church, St. Rita's Parish in Chicago where a congregation supposedly shared one very intense paranormal experience many years ago. <laughs> I thought you were say they shared one very good pizza. But shared a good pizza, <laughs> a deep dish pizza. Uh, next, we'll move to Abbeville. You're in a weird mood. I know. <laughs> I think I've forgotten to take my meds the last couple of days. I'm, like, I'm being really serious. Yeah. Once we got sick, uh, like taking my meds has been all over the place. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't make me feel good. Sometimes they yeah. feel nauseous. And I think it's making my mood like, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, you have been a little all over the place lately. I have. I think it's because I haven't been consistently taking my antidepressants. Um, next, we're going to move to Abbeville, Alabama, where we will examine the infamous local legend of Hug and Molly, an entity that supposedly haunted the youth, it seems, of this little town for decades, and maybe some neighboring areas as well. And I'm sorry, a hugging? Hugging Molly. Like like a hug? Mm-hmm. Okay. But not a nice one. Okay, I was just making sure that that was what you said, and I wasn't making things up in my head. And locally, it's pretty infamous. Like, oh, there's, really? like, businesses named after that. Like, they have merch based. Like, you know, it's a whole thing, this Hug and Molly. Hug and uh, Molly. Um, been tales for decades. Okay, I dig that. So, let's showcase this week's spoopy socks, and then we are off. And now, somebody gave you these for me. Uh... They are little squirrels. Ha, <laughs> cute. That's a pretty really, cool, actually, design. They're pretty cute. They're really soft, but also very snug. And I don't know where they, like, I don't know what show you went to yeah. in the last month or so that I wasn't there, but they're real cute. They're about to destroy the Christmas village, which, which I guess this is probably the last <gasps> episode we'll be having this display. Oh. Then, then it'll be post-holidays when we're recording next. Oh, but villages are still snowy, so maybe we could pretend for a little bit longer. <laughs> I know, because it is cool. Yeah. Okay, so a little bit of setup on this first story before we get to uh, someone who supposedly witnessed the intense paranormal encounter the story centered around firsthand. St. Rita of Cascia, Italy, lived from 1381 to 1457. She is known as the Saint of the Impossible. St. Rita became a nun after she was widowed. The St. Rita's Parish website states, Her husband caused her much suffering, but she repaid his cruelty with a prayer and kindness. In time, he was converted, becoming considerate and God-fearing. St. Rita's husband didn't just die, he was murdered, and her sons wanted to avenge their father's death, but Rita prayed for God to take them, to take them, like take their lives, rather than, rather than allow them to kill, and in her eyes, condemn their souls to hell. Uh. And then her sons soon died after her prayer, according to the legend. Uh, yikes. Uh, St. Rita became a nun at an Augustinian convent in the small and very old central Italian town of Cascia. Very picturesque. She was known for her prayers leading to many miracles for others. Four and a half centuries after her death in 1457, 
um, her death was in 1457, St. Rita's Church, a parish of the Archdiocese of Chicago, was founded in 1905 by the Augustinian Order. And now St. Rita's is reportedly one of the most haunted churches in the state of Illinois. One legend surrounding the church claims that on one particular All Souls Day in the 1960s, a large congregation of people were inside St. Rita's, no exact number is listed, when the organ started to play by itself, and then the figures of six robed monks Ugh. appeared out of thin air. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. The parishioners tried to flee the church, but couldn't because the doors were locked. And then craziest of all, the apparitions of these monks supposedly approached steadily until a disembodied voice was heard whispering, pray for us. And then they vanished. The whole incident is said to have lasted about two minutes. That's a long, long time for something so scary. Mm -hmm. The following story comes from an individual who claimed that he witnessed this exact event when he was a young boy. It's time now for the tale of the ghost monks of St. Rita's Parish. Growing up, my parents were, and still are, strict Catholics. Every Sunday, every holiday, and every church-sponsored bake sale or charity event, we were getting dressed and heading out for the 20-minute walk to St. Rita's Church. Like most kids who are forced to go to church regularly, I mainly found I was bored out of my mind. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of the place helped make up for it. I remember the ornate pillars holding up arch ceilings so high it made you feel dizzy. The stained glass windows and religious artwork adorning the walls. There had always been stories among us kids who attended Sunday school that the place was haunted. Most stories involved a ghost roaming around the second floor where our classroom was, but of course I never really believed any of it. It was just kids having fun and making up stories to fight off boredom. That's what I thought it was up until the day my mind was changed forever. It was All Souls Day, November 2nd, and as always, we set out as a family to walk to St. Rita's. I would have been around 11 years old at the time, and I was more than a little grumpy to be trudging through the cold, rainy streets early in the morning to go spend another two hours sitting in church. It started off just like any other mass. We all shuffled in and sat down on the hard wooden pews. Reverend Michael greeted us, saying he'd hoped we'd had a safe journey, then stood up and began to read the passages he'd chosen for the service from the same heavy old Bible he used every week. About 15 minutes in, everyone was frightened by the unexpected sound of the large organ filling the room. Reverend Michael was obviously in shock, looking up and around with clear confusion in his eyes. From the look on his face, it only took us a few seconds to be absolutely certain the organ wasn't supposed to be playing. In fact, I'm fairly certain no one was even sitting at the organ at that particular moment. The notes continued, longer and louder, no particular tune, just elongated, deafening sounds coming through the pipes. As the whole congregation sat there confused and unsure of how to proceed, Reverend Michael barely had a chance to move before something appeared from above the organ. It looked like gathering clouds of mist. Confusion pretty soon turned to terror as the mist began to take shape and solidify. My mother's scream pierced through my ears as six figures began advancing towards the congregation. Reverend Michael crossed himself and stumbled back as the apparitions became clear. There were six of them in total, six men that looked like monks, Three dressed in red and three dressed in white, advancing ever closer. I was in complete shock. We all were. I felt paralyzed with fear, but as my mom and dad grabbed a hand each, I found my legs could indeed move as we all ran with the other parishioners towards the heavy doors. I could feel people pushing and shoving against me in their panic to get out. The doors that always remained open during the day and were far too heavy for any wind to blow them shut were now not only shut, but locked and they weren't budging. Some of the men were trying to pull or push open the door, but it wouldn't budge. My mother was holding onto my arm hard enough to leave a bruise, determined not to let me get swept away and crushed by the crowd. 
I looked up at her and saw that she was obviously trying her best not to start crying and frantically praying like so many others who were now working themselves up into a panic. The figures came ever closer. I looked over and saw Reverend Michael still pressing himself against the wall by the altar. The terror had overtaken him and rendered him unable to move or help his congregation in any way. The six figures were getting so close, they almost had the whole congregation backed up against the doors. The screaming and crying interspersed with prayers grew louder and louder. My dad pushed my mother and I behind him, trying his best to get us as far away from these figures as possible. And then, out of thin air, a disembodied voice said, Pray for us. The words came like they were passing through our minds, rather than being spoken out loud. But I know everyone heard it based on their shocked gasps, and by the way they all looked up and scanned the ceiling above them. Slowly, the intimidating figures now faded into nothing, and the group of prisoners pushing through the heavy doors suddenly fell through out onto the cold, wet stairs outside. My parents and I quickly fled the church and hurried home. This incident is still talked about today. Stories passed down from generation to generation, and I'm certain that the young children hearing the story think it's completely made up just to scare them. But I was there, and it happened. We all have our theories, but no one really knows what we saw that day, why it happened, or who was the source of the voice that seemed to have saved us. That's so... Ugh. Okay, so you didn't grow up going to church, but I did. Yeah. So in my mind, I like could f- picture this in so many ways. I used to go to St. John Bosco Parish when I lived in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and my mom made us go to church every single Sunday until we graduated from high school. Yeah. So this, this is just like so common for me to like just be at church. Everybody's there. The yeah. doors are always kept unlocked. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a fire code thing as well, just like thinking about as an adult, thinking about I'm like, yeah, you can't. Yeah lock the doors right but the thought of like all these people running down the aisles i I immediately was like oh god please don't let there be a stampede where people get yeah get crushed "Mm -hmm," because that's you know obviously a very real thing when people are scared but like Mm -hmm. yeah it's like these like really heavy doors you know with like the like the metal push bar like those kinds of like really heavy Mm -hmm. doors so it's like you would come out of the um I don't even know what you call it anymore. Like the church area where all the pews are. And then you're in like a vestibule, like a vestibule, like a yeah. um, a re- reception area and then the door. So they're like, you could all kind of like congregate here and it's where the restrooms were. And I just mm-hmm. am imagining, you know, Sunday morning mass or, you know, it sounds like they went on Saturday, but like Saturday afternoon, four yeah. o'clock mass. Uh, it was all souls day. I don't remember. Is that a, is that a Saturday? Uh, well, all souls day is a date, not a, yeah. so, so just like, um, could be any day of the week exactly just like the way like halloween moves so does all souls yeah. day um which i actually thought all souls day was november 1st so now i feel like i gotta <laughs> bone up on my catholicism yeah while you while you keep talking about it i'll look it up really quick and oh, see okay yeah, Thurs- yeah. uh november 2nd oh it is november, november 2nd thank you tyler what's november 1st then all 31st is all hallows eve i don't know the AKA halloween and yeah. then i thought that all souls day was the first i hmm. feel like the first is something else Oh, my brain is blown right now. Yeah, but like you said, it like moves. It's like whatever yeah. day of the week it happens to be yeah. that year. Yeah. So it's probably just like, you know, like a late afternoon, early evening service. And mm-hmm. it's not a required holiday. But like, I mean, if you're devout the way that family is, you would yeah. go. And yeah, I'm just like, it was just so eerie for me as someone who grew up like that, going to all these special services to think about that. And like the organ is like generally up here yeah. or like, you know, in the front. I don't know. Just could really place myself there and feel all that fear if like hooded figures were coming for us. Oh yeah, from floating down from above and seen by a by a group of people, which would make it that much yeah. scarier. Yeah. First is All Saints Day. 
Oh, okay. So that's what I was Halloween, thinking of. All Saints Day, All Souls Day. Huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tyler. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Absolutely. Do you have pictures? Uh, I do have some pictures. This first one is an old depiction of St. Rita of Cascia. Obviously not a photograph as she was many centuries ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's not how she looked. <laughs> they just like dolled her up and made her an Italian nun. How dare you? And then uh, this next picture, cool pic of the town of Cascia, including a big statue of St. Rita. And I love this town just built into the mountainside there. Ugh. I know that you're not a fan of Italy, but like, come on, dude. I'll give it another shot. I'll give it another shot. Do you guys know that Dan doesn't like Italy? <laughs> I just, I just ratted to... you out. I know. I just, I know. We don't need to get into it. He had a bad I just, experience. I just am a, a, a more, um, I, I have a space bubble. I, I don't like, uh, I don't like being on a crowded subway. I don't like, um, I don't like just people up in my shit at all. Like, like, I think I'm more averse to that than most people. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm in a culture where people don't have space issues and they're just right up in your face. Yeah. And I just don't like um, loud, aggressive personalities. And when I was in Italy, I just felt like I was constantly, sur- I know, you're <laughs> you're a, a, an exception. Thank we can you. We can balance each other out. But you're not like, oh, you can also like tone it down. 100%. Yeah, if you were, up all, the, quiet if you were up all the time, th- we never would have worked. That's true. Of, yeah. Um, but, I would annoy myself if I was up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but like in Italy, it's like when I was traveling around there, I just felt like that was the only people I encountered. It's just a one after another of just like I'm trying to stand in line and I like to give a little space between myself and the next person and people ah, da, 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 and just fucking like cut in front of me and I'm just like constantly like what the fuck is happening here? Like, and yet you love concerts. You never complain about space. I love awareness concerts, or- but I like but ideally, and I'm being totally serious. I like I like a seat. I, as I get older, I don't like to be standing in the pit. I don't like to be up against people because then, then I get distracted by somebody bumping into the back of me or like hitting my shoes. Nope. Let me have my space, enjoy this sound, and stay the fuck away from me is, is how I like it. <laughs> I just hear the guys laughing out there. I just am picturing you becoming like a very, very, very cranky old man on your fucking front steps with your shotgun across your lap. You don't let the kids come on your grass. If they kick the ball into your yard, fuck them. Too bad. No, I, I can make I can make exceptions. Can but it's funny. It feels had, like you're headed in this direction. It's funny. I had a, a joke about becoming exactly that several comedy albums ago. Maybe you should that exact listen vision. to it and reflect on it. No, I... You know what? If the, kids, if, if the kids were respectful, fine. Yeah. But but if like I'm old, I would be the cranky old man if kids are being obnoxious and like trash in the yard. Then it would be a talk with the parents of Who like. Who does that? I don't know, brats. I, that's literally never a thing that I've even seen. Well, I think you know. You, you, know, where, you, know, where, you know. You know. Where I bet that happens a lot. Italy. <laughs> bunch In of, Italy, bunch of aggressive, just, obnoxious Italian kids just throwing actual, literal trash into each other's <laughs> yards. <laughs> No, but, I, but there's I, like they have dinner and they take like the leftover packaging from like the raw yeah. meat and like the cheese and huh? they just put it in a bag and then they stand in your front yard and yeah. one item at a time just chuck it into your yard. <laughs> right, right. I did have some great moments one on one with some Italian people over there. I love the food. I love the the country. The geography. Yeah, is cool. Um, and and uh, and I love the architecture and the history. So, okay. so but okay, a couple more quick pictures. This next one's an exterior <laughs> shot of St. Rita's Parish in Chicago. Oh, good church. I know. That's old, really big. Old Catholic churches are gorgeous. Yeah, they really can be. And then this one, a really pretty interior. Interior shot of the Chicago Parish. Uh, couldn't find a good shot of the door, but not that we need one. We can all picture oh, a big, big door. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's really pretty. We're going to be in Cleveland for Christmas. We're recording this ahead of the holiday. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me like, oh, man, I know that none of us are practicing Catholics. So it's not our jam, but like. I'd go to a mass. Christmas mass. I've been to masses. And like they're beautiful. There's beautiful cathedrals. Yeah. It would be maybe kind of cool. A lot of times you have to get tickets though, so it's probably too oh, late. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Uh, any more questions about the supposed group sighting, or shall we move on to the next story? Let's move it along, homie. Okay. I'm back up. <laughs> Let's go learn about a monster. Uh, I gotta get steady with my meds. <laughs> Before we head off to a small town in Alabama to meet Hugging Molly, time now for our mid-show sponsor break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Thanks for listening to those deals, creeps and peepers. And now it's time to meet a paranormal legend from the American South. Uh, no setup, just going to get right into it. Time now for the tale of Hug and Molly. Abbeville, Alabama is home to approximately 2,300 residents, many of whom could regale you with stories of their own personal encounters with Hug and Molly, a mysterious spirit that allegedly haunts the area. Hug and Molly is Abbeville's very own boogeyman. Some Abbeville residents have long warned their children that Hug and Molly lies in wait for the disobedient child out after dark. Hug and Molly is described as a very large female figure, about seven feet tall, and as big around as a bale of cotton. She is said to dwell in the shadows and to walk the streets of Abbeville late at night, her long black dress swaying in the breeze, a wide brim hat obscuring her face. If you should be unlucky enough to happen to see her, according to local lore, She'll give chase in an attempt to hug and tightly squeeze you while screaming into your ear. Talk of the spirit is thought to have first appeared in Abbeville in the early 1900s. And Hug and Molly has remained a local legend ever since. Early encounter tales of locals running into Molly consistently place the entity in the same dark alley behind the local schoolhouse. If true, obviously terrifying. If just stories, the legend was a great way to encourage kids to hurry home from school and not get into any trouble in that alley. In those days, there were no lights on the town's side streets, making the nights much darker and possibly allowing Hug and Molly to roam where she pleased. The stray child or teenager out after dark might find themselves being followed by a large dark figure whose footsteps keep pace and echo their own until finally this disturbing entity attacks, leaping upon them the spirit's evening prey. However, no serious harm has ever been reported from such an attack that we're aware of. No wounds other than maybe some scratches and bruises, and of course, haunting memories of being nearly scared to death. Most stories don't depict Molly as a ghost seeking to physically harm anyone. Rather, she seems to want to terrify them into rushing home for the night. 
longtime Abbeville resident Jimmy Rain, owner of a restaurant actually named Hugging Molly's, mm-hmm. has said of all the old stories, anybody who grew up in Abbeville grew up knowing the legend of Hugging Molly. If your mother or dad didn't want you to be out after dark, they'd tell you Hugging Molly would get you. And you believed it too. Jimmy opened Hug and Molly's in 2006, an adorable 1950s style restaurant that serves as a big tourist attraction for the small town of Abbeville. I'll have pictures since we both love a good 50s diner. Mm-hmm, sure do. Abbeville locals are known to swap Hug and Molly stories at the diner, and others have shared stories of their supposedly true, terrifying encounters with Hug and Molly with reporters and authors over the years. Longtime Abbeville resident Mac Gregory gave an interview in 1960 about his encounter with Hug and Molly. He claimed he saw Huggin' Molly was a, when he was a teenager back in the 1920s. He said that following one Saturday delivering groceries, he began walking home after dark. There were no streetlights along his route. About halfway home, Max said he suddenly heard footsteps behind him. He claims to have turned around and seen a large black figure approaching. He sped up to put some distance between himself and this figure, but no matter how fast he ran, when he'd look back, the figure matched his speed and sometimes slightly exceeded it, catching up with him. Tired, Max started to slow down, and then he noticed that the figure did the same. He began to feel certain that this thing was taunting him. The dark entity continued to give chase as Mac now approached his family's house. Once he could see the porch lights, he started to sprint towards the front door and he ran inside, slamming the door behind him and locking it. After quietly listening for several moments, trying to see if he could hear the sound of this thing walking or running up to his porch, or maybe doing something like grabbing and twisting the door handle in an attempt to get inside, But hearing and seeing nothing, he dared to peek out from behind the curtains and fortunately never saw the figure again. He would remain convinced for the rest of his life that he truly saw Hug and Molly and that she chased him home that night. Another encounter story comes from another longtime Abbeville resident, James Robert Schell. Marion Glover Leonard, his neighbor, recounted the Schell story to Alan Brown, author of a paranormal book called Haunted Alabama. According to the story, in the 1920s, when he was a teenager, Robert was walking home one night a little later than usual. He was tired and rubbed his weary eyes as he tried to adjust to the darkness. He suddenly thought he saw a speck of light shoot across his line of vision, but initially wrote it off as a trick of his imagination due to the long hours he'd worked that day. It was a quiet evening, dark and cold. Robert pulled his collar up around his neck and put his head down to shield himself against the chilly air. Hearing footsteps behind him, He turned his head quickly, expecting to see one of the familiar faces he knew from around town. What he saw was definitely not anyone he'd ever seen before. A large woman, cloaked in black, moved gracefully down the street towards him, towering over him even from a distance. He surmised that she was well over six feet tall. She had a strange presence about her. Robert found himself staring, transfixed, rooted to where he stood, in absolute awe of this woman. Then as she came near, he realized she wasn't actually walking. Though her movement was accompanied by the sound of footsteps, it was apparent that her feet were not touching the ground, if she even had feet. She continued gliding down the street, black robes flowing behind her, as Robert remained there, still frozen to the spot, until the fear kicked in enough for his body to really start moving. He didn't want to run yet, not eager to show any fear, so he sped up his footsteps, hustling down the dark sidewalks at a brisk pace, but still walking. The footsteps coming for him quickened, Robert stopped again. He turned his head, expecting to see the woman racing towards him. But she had paused, only ten yards behind him, as if waiting for him to continue. Robert resumed walking, and the sound of the woman's footsteps hitting the ground behind him continued. Just like with the first encounter story I shared, the entity seemed to be taunting him, matching his pace. If he sped up, she sped up. 
If he slowed down, she slowed down. What did she want, he wondered. Normally, he'd later say, as a bigger-than-average, fairly athletic kid, he wouldn't have worried about being in physical danger from a woman, but this lady was much bigger and taller than any woman or man that he'd ever met in his entire life. And the way she followed him, the strange, menacing behavior she displayed, was worrying. He feared what her intentions might be. Did she want to rob him? Did she have a knife? A gun? Did she maybe want to hurt him? To kill him? He'd never been afraid of anyone like he was now afraid of her. He wondered if perhaps he should say something, ask her if she was lost and needed help, maybe. He glanced over his shoulder again, watching the lurking dark figure behind him. No, he decided, she didn't need help. He needed help. Robert continued walking as fast as he could, turning his head every few seconds, and sure enough, every time he looked back, the woman in black was still around ten yards away, still following him. He now became very aware that despite her being so close, despite him turning to look at her several times, he didn't actually know what she looked like. He never could catch a good glimpse of her face, making it impossible to try to gauge her intent or identify her. Now he started to wonder if she was even a woman, or if she was some kind of monster. Finally, Robert saw the glow of his house lights in the distance, a tiny speck, and it filled him with relief. He started running when he was about a hundred yards from home. Once he was inside, he reasoned he could call for help or grab some kind of weapon to try and defend himself with. As he sprinted, Robert's heart began pounding, not from the running, but because the woman was now also running. And this time, she sounded closer than ever, like she was about to grab him. Somehow, Robert's mother sensed that he was in danger and opened up the front door. She saw her son running towards the house, a terrified look on his face. She stood on the porch and screamed, Run, Robert! Run! According to the sighting, she also saw the woman in black right on his heels and held the door open for him as he, chased, as he was chased by the figure. Then the woman in black seemed to disappear as soon as Robert's mother shut the door. He spent the rest of the night anxiously peeking out the windows, searching for her. But like with the case of Mac's encounter, Robert would never see this woman in black again. Luckily for both Robert and Mac, neither would be grabbed to have to hear this thing's awful scream. Maybe if they hadn't have ran, that's exactly what would have happened to them. So where does this entity come from? It seems like the original Hug and Molly legend, or the spirit itself, may have come from Ireland, because Abbeville is one of several areas full of Irish settlers where reports of encounters have come from. Official reports of Hug and Molly first appeared in Phoenix City, Alabama, another area initially full of a lot of Irish settlers. In the late 1800s, the Columbus newspaper described encounters with the spirit as being of the Hug and Molly variety, a black figure dressed in a long gown that appears at night. Who Hug and Molly once was, if the spirit is the ghost of a real person, remains a mystery. But the most common story suggests she's the ghost of a woman who began hugging the town's youngsters while searching for her own lost, presumably dead, child. And she screams when she realizes the child she has in her grasp is not her own. Other stories say Molly is the spirit of a mother whose child tragically died. Uh, the woman hugged children as a source of comfort. One darker legend claims that Molly was murdered while walking one night and continues wandering the streets as a spirit. Yet another origin story states that Hug and Molly was once a witch who wandered the streets looking for children whose parts she needed for dark spells. She would, according to variations of this lore, hug the life from them while screaming into their ears. Once she caught them and then take them to her lair for some nefarious purpose, according to Will Elric, author of Alabama Lore. Others suggest the myth was actually started by a local professor at Southeast Alabama Agricultural School, now Abbeville High School, over half a century ago, in an attempt to keep his students off the streets at night and into class and in class the next day. The professor supposedly donned a black robe and terrorized those he found out after dark. 
seems a bit extreme. <laughs> and there are still other theories that, su- that suggest Huggin' Molly was and or is not a woman, but actually a man in disguise, which could explain the spirit's very large stature. Irish settlers in Baton Rouge, Louisiana reported their own Hug and Molly in the late 1800s, but it was actually a man trying to hug pretty women. Also, according to an article by J.M. Plumbly in Headland, Alabama, there was another Molly impersonator who caused such a terror that the editor of a local paper posted the following warning. Some unprincipled person is parading the streets of Headland at all hours of the night dressed as a woman in black. It is frightening the women and children and causing our large number of dogs to be kicking up a racket at most any time of night. I have been requested to notify the person or thing that it will be shot on sight by a certain husband and father whose wife and children were frightened out of their wits the other night. Somebody is likely to get, quote, herded if they don't learn to behave themselves. There are all, all, I love that article. There are all kinds of legends about Hug and Molly. Here's one that is less frightening than it is just weird. According to Michelle Smith's book, Legends, Lore, and True Tales of the Chattahoochee, when Hug and Molly was a little girl, her arm was removed and she was given a golden arm. One local spoke with local TV station reporter from WTVY and said that the arm was removed by a black bear. People in town awaited Molly's death so they could steal her golden arm. After her funeral, some local boys dug up Molly's grave and stole the arm, but as they were filling up the hole, a disembodied voice said, I want my golden arm. The boys fled in terror, but they heard a voice following them, shouting, Come back! Come back! One of the boys was then grabbed by a woman in black who squeezed the breath out of him while screaming into his ear. The other boys returned to fight her off, and the boy managed to escape. Now they all fled, golden arm in tow. They eventually melted the golden arm and sold it. And now today, Molly wanders the streets searching for the boys who stole her golden arm. Okay. They probably gave it to Jamie Lannister. <laughs> probably. Finally, according to journalist J.M. Plumbly, one of the most recent Hug and Molly encounter claims comes from 2010. During the annual Yatta Abba Day, a celebration of the blooming of all the area's dogwood trees, a local festival drawing hundreds of people to the charming downtown, uh, Yatta Abba being the Creek Indian expression for Grove of Dogwoods. Oh, thank you. And during the celebration, a teacher was given a cemetery tour after the sun went down. While given the tour, a dark, mysterious figure appeared in the cemetery and then walked away. Everyone on the tour saw it. A local pranking to spook the visitors or an actual paranormal entity? The real Hugging Molly? Regardless of where the tale began, most Abbeville residents seem to agree that the lore is based on some sort of truth. A truth that has been intertwined with personal encounters and stories, some real, some fake, passed down from generation to generation. And they wait to see when and where Hugging Molly We'll show up next. I like that one. Yeah, me too. It's, it's I mean, like it's, a little bit lighter, but I don't mind it. Yeah, yeah. It's it just, it's interesting that it's took hold so much in this area and then it's stayed for decades and decades. And there's been, you know, uh, news reports about it and there's yeah. interviews still. And I love that there's this diner named <laughs> after it. You know, I, I love those little, uh, like, I just love discovering these things still. A couple years in, we're just constantly yeah, discovering, yeah. you know, like more and more tales that have been ra- around for decades. I, I love a local folklore. Me too. Something or another. It, it's interesting. Yeah, it's wild. It's <laughs> Sorry, cool. I didn't realize you had to <laughs> No, I, yeah. we haven't been doing wild, cool, and interesting a lot lately, which is, yeah. you know, oh, good for us. But yeah, I, I love a local legend, lore, whatever. Mm-hmm. I like it when a whole community rallies around something. I mean, it because for me, it like, 
it gives way for there to be like uh, something else going on, like yeah. a cover up, like, oh, look over yeah. here so you're not looking over there. Or uh, like, okay, if I was a naughty, naughty person and there yeah. was the local lore of Hug and Molly, it's like I might use that cover to be a serial killer to get away with something. Like <laughs> it just feels like it can be the premise for so many other things, whether it's just like a carnival, a festival, like, you know, like mm-hmm. a fun, silly thing that we take and make fun of, or uh, like, you know, with this like Yada Abade, like, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you have that, but then maybe somebody plays a prank and does yep. this scary thing, but like the whole town or community invests in it. I don't know. It's just fun. It reminds scary or not. Yeah. It reminds me of Mothman. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and maybe Tyler, if you could look this, I think Mothman, it's from Pleasantville, West Virginia, I want to say. I thought Mothman was from Ohio. No, Mothman, I'm 99% sure comes. Everything's from Ohio. From West Virginia. And they have like a Mothman festival. And it is, yeah, Point Pleasant, not Pleasantville, but Point Pleasant, West Virginia. What an idiot. <laughs> is where uh, Mothman was supposedly seen decades ago. And then, and it was like a whole thing that like freaked people in the town out. And yeah. there was numerous sightings and it made the papers and there was manhunts and all this kind of stuff. And now there's a statue of it and the lore just continues to this day with a festival and everything. And I, yeah, it's great. I love it. It's like, uh, I mean, this is a nice local flavor. Yeah, I know that I've gotten plenty of emails about the root of Chester Chester, the child molester. There was oh. like a, there was that like a cartoon strip or something. I off the top of my head, I can't remember, but I have all the emails about it. But it's just like that was like something that we grew up with, and it's I mean terrible yeah. phrasing, but let's just say it was Chester Chester the. I don't know, not child molester, <laughs> but just like some, some, if it was a paranormal entity, like it would be such, cause it was such a creepy thing for us kids. Like, oh my God, don't go in the woods. Chester yeah. will get you, you know? And I, we loved it as kids. We were terrified of it, but we also loved how terrified we were of it. Uh, I would, the, the variation of that in Riggins was, it was not called uh, Chester. It was called Pat Sajak, <laughs> which is a. Just a nod to a That's horrible, a weird time a, suck joke. A horrible ongoing time suck, disparaging Re- joke. Really, truly, a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor, poor Pat. I'm uh, waiting for you to like bring in Vanna White to it and just like oh other weird, random, long time. Like you bring me Bialik into it. <laughs> yeah. just... uh, I have a few pictures. Okay. Oh yeah, I want to see this diner because so, of yeah. course now I want a pancake. So here's an exterior shot of Hug and Molly's diner in Abbeville, Alabama. It is adorable. Oh, it's so sweet. Gosh mm-hmm. dang, I love the South. And then this next one, picture of the counter of this cute little diner. I just love the attention to detail. Yes, yes, when they, yes. When they really try to replicate, you know, like from that era. I can, okay, I know we've talked about like random business. <gasps> and then, yep, they, that, is a, that is a perfect depiction of a soda fountain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, they got I the malts, it. the banana splits, the sodas. Okay, if we were ever going to have a restaurant, it would totally be a 50s <sighs> diner. Yes. If, like, if we just wanted to spend all of our money and never mm-hmm. make another dollar ever again, we mm-hmm. could open a 50s diner. <laughs> okay, perfect. Because <laughs> restaurants are just a pit for money. So, I mean, some thankfully do well. And I, and I have so much respect to the ones that do, like like Michael D's and stuff. I think he's doing all right. Because that's got to be a lot of work. It's a lot of work. There's so much. I, here was what my problem would be it would become like a whole socioeconomic environmental thing for me that I would become obsessed with trying to fix mm. because there's so much waste. There's so much spoilage. Like, how do you keep customers happy? Well, like, is it fair that people can, some people can afford to go out to eat and other people can't? Like, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would go down such a rabbit hole. It would be a real problem. And we would definitely be broke. Let's not do that then. Uh, this next one, creepy little pic of uh, what someone thinks Hug and Molly looks like from an article about her. I imagine Hug and Molly looking like, Oh my God, this is so funny to me. I was about to say, I feel like Hug and Molly looks like the uh, graffiti art above your head. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
funny? Uh, oh, that is so creepy. What movie is that from? It, it's from some, I can't remember the name, but I, th- I think it's just called Hug and Molly. Like a very small, oh. like indie kind of like film, like low budget. Yeah, that's a really, really creepy face. And then this last one, another pick of someone's vision of Hug and Molly. And this was just uh, Ooh, that's from a couple articles. That's really scary. That's also great art. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Especially like the greenery in the background. It's like, uh, feels very graphic novel. Uh-huh. It's almost like she has two faces because she, her face and then that, that skull, skull. on her necklace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, very cool. And that's, uh, that's, all, my, that's all my stories that's all for today. Stuff? I like both of those. I did too. A little bit different, mm-hmm. but I like it. Yeah. It was fun. You don't always have to be long and drawn out. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes sometimes there's a lot of story and sometimes there's not. You mm-hmm. know, it's just that's the way it goes. Oh, do you have a Layla? I do. Okay. I'll, I'll go with this one. Yeah, today. Perfect. Red Layla. Red Layla. Yum. <laughs> Get it? I don't. Red Robin. Oh! Red Robin. I haven't heard that in Yum. so long. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sister restaurant. Okay. You okay. Get it. The sister to Hagamali. Oh, man. Okay. I think I should just like dive right into it. My focus is a little, yeah, I'm a little spazzy today. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will say that on this first story, I'm fairly long, and it's just maybe not individually each encounter or experience is that scary, but I think the. Uh, collective amount of them to happening to one person, mm-hmm. I think it would really do me in. And it mm-hmm. did lead me to think like, okay, if I had a bunch of little experiences spread out throughout my life, I feel like I would be able to justify them away. Oh, I was really tired that day. Yeah. Oh, I was really stressed at that time in my life. But is there one singular kind of encounter that I could have that would cause me to be like, nope, absolutely real, hands down, don't need to have another one. Like, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. do you have like one thing that you're like, okay, if that one particular thing happened to me, this like this particular kind of encounter, this particular type of sighting, that's all I would need to know the other side is real? Or are you on the side of like you need multiple encounters? No, if I if I had one my thing would be if, if it was with another person and if if they were to without me describing what i saw to them yeah if they described the same thing yeah like we both saw something especially sober i know sober's de- you know a what? big part of it definitely if uh i mean it'd still be weird if i was you know shrooming with somebody or whatever and they happened to see the exact same kind of visual thing that would be weird to me but it wouldn't be but, 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 but then later I would rationalize it away exactly that's what I'm asking like but, how do you not do that right the how I not do that is if there's two if uh, uh, for both sober and me and at least one other person see the same thing yeah that, that is clearly like a not like a little flitting shadow right but something substantial that lasts for a moment where I'm like uh-huh. oh my god accompanied by a feeling blah 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 to me that's all I would need okay so you need to see something and you need or, another you know, person to also see it. Or both of us hear something, you know, okay. like, or, or both of us, you know, it could be a variety of things. Okay. That, but like, I would need to experience it with someone else for me not to be able to rationalize it away as like, maybe I have a mental illness. Maybe I have, uh, you know, who knows? So you need like essentially double confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. I'd want, I would want somebody else to confirm it. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And it could be a sighting. It could be a sound. It could be a multitude of things. Hmm? All right. Well, let's see. That's that's good to know. Okay. I, hope I, I hope I never see anything with you because my fear then is that we both kind of go crazy trying to talk the other one out of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Huh. 
My husband and I are huge fans and we listen daily. My husband's also a fan of Time Suck and Dan's stand-up. Thank you. And thanks for reading my story. I've always been a believer and an enthusiast of the paranormal. As a child, my best friend and I would try to communicate with spirits through the Ouija board, watch scary shows, and do any amateur ghost hunting we could. My fascination didn't dull as I grew into adulthood either. I think this fascination began because my parents' house, where I was raised, along with my sister, was creepy. Throughout our years growing up there, we had all experienced we all had experiences that were both unexplainable and terrifying. There was the typical feeling of something chasing you up the basement stairs, the feeling of being watched, and noises that just shouldn't be. The one that stands out the most was when, as teenagers, my sister would awake night after night complaining of hearing a ball bouncing. No one paid much attention to this as my sister was a light sleeper, so much to the point of aggravation, mostly for me as our bedrooms were across from one another, and any time I even switched sleeping positions, my sister was right there with a helpful bit of advice on how to be so how, on how to not be so damn loud while sleeping. <laughs> my parents, probably tired of hearing her complain about this phantom bouncing ball, decided to investigate. My dad went down into the basement while my sister and I stayed with my mom. My dad walked up with a very confused look on his face, holding a deflated basketball that was lying on the floor underneath my sister's bedroom. Hmm. We did not play basketball as athleticism in our family is non-existent, nor did we use the basement for anything but storage. My dad, confused but ready for an old-fashioned and some sleep, felt confident hmm. that everything should be fine, but this obviously did nothing to settle our nerves. For lack of more eloquent wording, the house just felt bad, and it, and it intensified as we got older. The feeling of being watched was overwhelming at times, along with the strange noises that had no explanation. As we grew up and moved out, my sister continued having very unsettling paranormal experiences, like seeing full-body apparitions and other creepy surprises that no one likes, but she refused to have anything to do with the topic. I was very happy that nothing like that happened to me and thought that those uncomfortable feelings were a thing of the past for me. All was quiet until 2013, when my husband and I moved into a rental house in a nearby suburb. When we moved in, the landlord clearly hadn't done much. It literally looked like the previous tenants ran out and planned on coming back. There were sheets and towels in the closets and cabinets, clothes in the dryer, food in the fridge, and a full garage. Hmm. Really strange. But we figured that maybe they had had a disagreement with the landlord and just wanted to get out. We set about setting up our new home, but it soon became obvious that something was off here. It never felt right. We painted, decorated, and made some improvements, but the atmosphere always felt heavy. When I was at home, I not only felt watched, I felt like there was often someone staring at me, mostly from the hallway. And not stared at in a benign way, more like someone was glaring at me, stalking all of my movements. Not good. These feelings were just as strong at noon when the sun was shining as they were at nighttime. The energy in the home became heavier and heavier and more tense as time went on. Everything that could go wrong in our lives did. We fought constantly, although we don't know if that had anything to do with the energy of the house. The dog would stare into the hallway growling and refuse to walk any further. Sometimes, when walking, he would all of a sudden jump as if something unseen had suddenly touched the dog. My husband, who is not a believer and loved hiding around the house and scaring the crap out of me any chance he got, finally admitted to me that even he was experiencing some strange moments in the house as well. 
Things like his tools not being left where he had last put them. He said one night while I was out, he went to turn out the lights and lock up before going to bed. When over by the front door, he said he all of a sudden got the feeling like he was intruding upon someone else and got the overwhelming feeling that someone did not want him there. It went away when he moved to another part of the house. We were in no financial position to move out, so we just dealt with all of this. I avoided being alone in the house at night and, like the adult I was, would make my mom come and sleep over if my <laughs> husband was out of town for work. Uh, life went on fairly uneventful, and in 2016, we welcomed baby girl Penelope. Mm -hmm. I was used to the house by now, but by no means a fan of it. But hey, it was our home. When we brought Penny home, things really started to pick up. Since I was on maternity leave, I was often home alone with her. The feelings of being watched continued, but not much else happened until she was about three months old. It was about midnight, and I was in the bedroom holding her, watching TV, while my husband slept beside us. She started fussing. Uh, for her midnight feeding, and I set her down in the bassinet. I turned to walk out the door to make her bottle and instantaneously was filled with a feeling of dread. Something inside of me was screaming that I did not want to open the door and walk down the hallway. I tried to get a hold of myself, telling myself to knock it off and go make Penny's bottle. I forced myself to walk down the hallway. There was nothing there, and I started to relax, but still turning on every light in the house as I, weighed, as I made my way to the kitchen. The light above the stove was on, which was enough to make a quick bottle. As I began scooping the formula, I started to panic. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I felt like I needed to suddenly run. Out of the corner of my eye, where the peninsula counter was, I saw a white mist start to form. It came up from the counter. Nope. I ran to the bedroom, sans bottle, and woke up my husband in a panic. I made him go into the kitchen and finish making the bottle. Later that week, we were in the kitchen getting ready for dinner, and the sun began to set. On the ceiling, we could see small swastikas, like what? someone had traced them in eraser, and the sun was hitting them at just the right angle so they were now visible. We had lived here for three years and had never seen them before. Horrified, we scrubbed them off, more confused than ever. After this, I decided to talk to our neighbors who had lived next door for something like 20 years to see what insight they might be able to provide. They said that the previous tenants were a mother and her two teenage boys. The rumor around the high school was that one of the boys was into devil worship. Though she couldn't confirm this, she did say that strange symbols were often painted on his bedroom window and that the room was usually lit up in red. Still, could just be a teenager going for shock value. She also told us that we were not the only ones on the block to experience paranormal activity. According to her, and again, no way to confirm this, there was the ghost of an old woman who sat in her living room at night, but they never felt fear from her, so didn't pay much attention to it. It was at this time that we began hearing loud noises at about three in the morning. The house was a one-level ranch, so there was nothing above us except for the attic. We didn't have much in there, just a few boxes of holiday decorations. The noise sounded like someone picked up a box of heavy weights and slammed it on the ground. Each time we would run and try to inspect the house and find everything, though, in perfect order. This happened three or four times. And then we moved in August of 2013, mostly due to conflicts with the landlord. We were happy to leave the strange and creepy vibes of this house behind and move to another home about 15 minutes away. Everything was peaceful and calm in this house. No creepy feelings whatsoever. Just beautiful, boring peace. And again, life went on. 
But then in January of 2018, we welcomed baby boy David. One snowy day when our son was just a few months old, I came home from work to find the babysitter a little bit flustered. She said she had been sitting out in the living room with the baby when she heard our daughter talking as though she were in conversation. The babysitter went to check it out, and thinking Penny was just playing a game of make-believe, she found her in the baby's room. She found Penny standing at the window, chatting away. When she asked Penny who she was talking to, she replied, Mr. Penguin. (laughs) She went on to explain that Mr. (laughs) Penguin comes to the window to talk to her sometimes. Now, this unnerved the babysitter a bit, and she went outside, worried that there was an actual person coming to the window to talk to Penny. However, there were no prints in the snow, and there were absolutely no disturbances at all in the snow for the entire length of the house. After she left, I asked my daughter about Mr. Penguin, assuming this was an imaginary friend situation. However, after asking her a few questions, I found out some disturbing stuff about Mr. Penguin. Mr. Penguin had black hair and wears all black clothes. He told Penny that he lives with his other friends in a black house, and he would like to play with her, but first she had to ask him if he could come in. He often told her what time her mommy and daddy would come home from work, too. This scared the hell out of me and definitely did not sound like the imagination of a child at work. I told her that she was never, ever to invite him in and then yelled like a psycho into the empty room that whatever it was, it was never to speak to my daughter ever again and that it most certainly was not welcome in our home. For good measure, I threw some salt in the corners and sprinkled some holy water all over the room. She never mentioned Mr. Penguin again, and we never brought him up. That was the only paranormal experience we ever had in that home. I've often wondered if it was something that followed us from the previous house and was trying to get back in, or maybe it's something I've carried with me since my childhood home. My dad has since passed away, but my mom still lives in the house where I grew up. A couple of months ago, while my mom was in the hospital, I stopped by with my son, who's now four, to pick up a few things to bring to her. The house was empty, and he was playing with stuffed animals when he stopped, looked at me, and said, Mommy, I want to leave right now. Something keeps saying my name in my ear. Oh my God. We were gone after, we were gone after that, as I wasn't sticking around to investigate. We've since bought a house and have never had a single unexplained experience here, and I hope it stays that way. There's nothing that feels off. The energy is positive other than it being filled with the craziness of two young children, an old dog, and two kittens. My sister, on the other hand, cannot seem to rid herself of the experiences no matter where she moves. Just two months ago, her daughter, my 11-year-old niece, called me and said she had something serious she needed to talk to me about, that she needed my help. She wanted to know how to get rid of the dark shadow figure in the hallway that stands outside of her door at night trying to beckon her out of her room oh my God. with unnaturally long fingers. Ugh. Sleep well, creeps and peepers. Mmm, that was good. Yeah, just as like far a, as a, yeah, a horror story. Yeah, and there, were, there were lots of little things. I mean, for her, the mist, seeing the mist is different than a feeling of being watched. A feeling, like a lot of mm-hmm. it was like feelings, feelings. Uh-huh. You know, the deflated basketball, like odd, but not like. That would freak me out. That bu- that basketball thing actually is the thing under, that I think that scared me the most. Oh, really? Under the bed? Just like how, just like there was no reason for it to be oh, there? It wasn't under the bed. It was in the oh. basement. 
under where her so like a multi-level house so like just think about like where kyler's room if all of a sudden like if the basement was under kyler's room and we never used the basement for anything but we went down there and there was a deflated basketball in the basement directly underneath where his room would be okay 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 yeah yeah if we're like not an athletic family we never owned a basketball if you never owned a basketball why is it there yeah yeah i mean that that's definitely weird that freaked me out my my brain would we'd be doing something though of like a friend brought it over it was like the previous owners it just like never got found you know something I know, I know, but ugh. And then, and then the sounds, you know, uh, the feelings. I would try and rationalize away, but the sure. mist, seeing that, what was like off that peninsula counter, yeah, that would be much harder. And then the the spookiest part of that whole like montage of little like horror moments was her son David when he was what four. Mm-hmm. He said like you know sitting there and just that reminded me of like a horror movie mm-hmm. where you're sitting there, you're playing with your toys, and then all of a sudden like David, David. David, like in your ear, and and of course the um the weird detail from Penny when she would be, I would think would be too young. I mean, I guess she could have seen it in a horror movie or something. But that whole thing of like inviting, you know, this thing asking me to be invited. I know. In, yes, that is very very creepy. Very specific to to paranormal lore. Yeah, and like Mister Penguin. I mean, that to me, that's such a funny kid way of explaining mm-hmm. somebody that wears black, but he probably has a white shirt on. Uh-huh. So in my mind is likely a black eyed child because black eyed children mm. can't come in if you don't let them in. Yeah. And he, and if Mr. Penguin is like outside this window, at like telling Penny, he wants to come in. He wants to play with her. He wants to be her friend. Just invite me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was good. A uh, sequence of spooky things. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the use of the word. One of my um, favorite, just random words, sans. Like uh, you know, like uh, sans food or sans, oh, like, yeah, like, yeah. like without. I'm like it's just like a, a fancy little simple word word to throw in, and I, I just always like it. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I I wonder much like the fan who sent this in wonders like did it begin in their childhood home? Mm-hmm. Is there something attached or, to them? Yeah, attached to them because right because where the son where David hears his voice is back at her childhood home mm-hmm, and her true. sister is having an ongoing problem yeah, of things happening. and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. It just feels like a, a, a curse them. over the family. Yeah. But now, yeah. but now her little foursome, her, her husband and yeah. her two kids, they seem okay. Or are both of them in that family just like sensitive to that stuff? Yeah. And so if they go to a place where those things are popping in and out, they're going to see them. But if they go to a place that is cleaner oh, or whatever yeah. of that, then they wouldn't. Better energy. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you have time for one more or do you have to go? I, I do have time. <laughs> Could you imagine if you're like, ah, actually, I got to I gotta run. I'm done. I have, I have a doctor's appointment I got to get to. <laughs> uh, so as I mentioned in the preview, a little sleep paralysis story. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I think that you've said that maybe you think you have maybe like one sleep paralysis experience in your yeah, life. Yeah, when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would have, I don't remember, like, there was never, like, some, like, a hat man, some shadowy figure yeah. that I recall, but I definitely had that sleep paralysis where you're caught in between waking and sleeping, mm-hmm. and in that horrible panic feeling of you want to move, but you can't move, and then yeah. you think you're awake, but you're not fully awake, and it's just very disorienting, and just, yeah, just kind of, yeah, it's just, like, panic-inducing, and then all of a sudden, I, like, I would have these feelings where I would just... Tr- try so hard to like pop up to sit up to mm-hmm. move and just couldn't and then finally we were like ah! like kind of like pop up yeah yeah and be able to move and just you know feeling freaked out when i woke up but as an adult young adult maybe maybe like college age i was still having that sometimes mm-hmm. but i can't remember just looking back if it was like teens 
like mid teens or late teens, early twenties when it would, I think it was still happening sometimes like, uh, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 in there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anything since. Yeah. I'm since we started this show, you know, I wasn't really aware of what sleep paralysis was until we mm-hmm. began this show. Mm-hmm. And then I think I talked about it on some episode quite a while ago at this point, where I'm pretty certain I had a sleep paralysis experience, but I don't have a long history or uh yeah. you know, w- with it and you know, just kind of unfamiliar with it, like I said, until we started doing this show. So I think it's fun to go back and explore because I was like, oh yeah, I think that did happen to me, mm-hmm. you know, like somewhere within the last year where I just remember that feeling, but it clearly wasn't significant enough to mess me up. Where yeah, I, like, I'm not worried about it. Yeah, some people just might happen to them once or twice. And it reminds me of sleepwalking in the sense, like, you know, mm. a lot of people will never sleepwalk. Yeah. But some people will you know, like really sleepwalk, like, yeah. you know, go and like move some stuff around in the house and then, you know, so like s- snap awake and they're like, you know, in the family room, putting something together. Like, how did I get here? <laughs> they might be outside their house. That's a, a the, the safety concern of uh-huh. sleepwalking is pretty scary, but yeah. I do on the other side of it, think it'd be pretty funny to just find somebody like in the living room, building mm-hmm. Legos. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah it's such an odd like brain glitch you know like yeah. when your body is because normally like it paralyzes you in dreams like where you, where you think you're moving around the dream but then your mind keeps you shut down so you don't hurt yourself right right but for some people sometimes that safety mechanism just gets switched off yeah and so they're moving around in the dream and then their body's like yeah let's go move around yeah let's do some more mm-hmm. let's drive a car Oh boy. All right. Well, let's let's read this story and then debate whether or not sleep paralysis or something else. Okay. Dear king and queen of the suck, their loyal furry subjects <laughs> and the court of scared to death. Funny. Love the podcast. Been listening to you guys and uh, li- been listening since you guys only had four episodes up and have loved oh, wow. every minute of it. Uh, oh, gee. I love it. <laughs> I never thought I would have a story to share. Until I was listening to the most recent episode that dropped yesterday, which I don't know when this is from, about the dream demon that inspired Freddy Krueger. That was a while back. The Laos, I think. I'm terrible at remembering things. Anyways, I wanted to share my own experience with this creepy dream monster. Enjoy. First, a bit of a little bit of backstory is necessary. I do have an autoimmune disease that attacks my lungs, so breathing sometimes is a chore for me mm. and can be deadly. I've been managing it well for these past 10 years and have never had anything happen to me like what occurred this one time while at home. Now, the house I live in is only 14 years old. No deaths, nothing spooky, no paranormal anything. No history to maybe even hint at something ever happening. Just your typical suburban home in a typical suburban neighborhood with a typical suburban family doing typical suburban family stuff. <laughs> Until one night. I was tired, but not any more than normal. My husband Rob and I were curled up in bed, him propped up reading a book while I was tucked up against him lying on my back. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary at all. I was just slowly drifting off like I normally do. Steady, even breathing, and falling into that awake but not awake state. I must have truly drifted off because the next thing I remember is waking up in a state of sleep paralysis. I think. I have never had any history of anything like sleep paralysis or night terrors in my life, even after all the troubles I've had with my health. But somehow, in the back of my fully awake subconscious, I knew this had to be sleep paralysis. It felt like I was trapped, my mind fully awake and alert, but yet my body refused to move. And then I felt it. It was subtle at first, like one of my cats had jumped up and was lying on my chest, just a pleasant heaviness. 
but that didn't last long. It began to press down on me, heavier and heavier, suffocating me. Even though I had no control over my own muscles and body, my eyes somehow opened into cracked slits, and I saw it. It was barely discernible, more like a gray mist that had hunched over me, sitting on my chest. The face that stared into my own eyes was snarling, sneering, and unfriendly visage with black eyes. Immediately, panic began to flood my body as I tried desperately to move, to flail, anything to dislodge this creature on me that was suffocating me. I screamed at it, Who are you? Feeling my lungs burn as I felt the rest of what little oxygen I had leave my body. It sneered at me even more, leaning closer, and I could see the familiar black begin to creep into the edges of my vision as my body began to shut down from the lack of oxygen. And then suddenly, I gasped a huge, heaving breath of sweet, sweet air as the thing just vanished. It took me a moment to gather myself, slowly testing out, seeing that I actually could move my body on my own. Cue Kill Bill joke here about wiggling your big toes. (laughs) Turning towards my husband, who was still just calmly breathing, I let out a big breath and said, Did you see that? See what? He replied, turning his head to look at me. That that thing that was on my chest, it was like a smoky gremlin thingy. Rob, bless his heart, just looked at me incredulously and slowly shook his head. No? You didn't hear me shout at it? Another no. Or that great big breath I just took. All the time, Rob just shook his head no, his expressions becoming more and more confused. There were a few moments of silence before he slowly replied to me, Sweetie, you were just asleep like normal just seconds ago. Needless to say, I didn't sleep well for the rest of the night, and poor Rob had to deal with me becoming an octopus, clinging to him for the rest of the night. Since then, no incident like that has happened again, but I'm still wary of shadows, afraid that I'll see that strange thing that will come to me and try to suffocate me at night. Melatonin has become a nightly routine as well. I try to fall asleep as quickly as possible and stay asleep. Anyways, guys, sweet dreams. Love you. Love the podcast. All the best, Sammy. Thanks, Sammy. I mean, that is like, what do they call it? Like uh, uh, some some lore, the old hag. I oh, think. yeah, the, the hag? The nightmare. No, not the no. boo hag. It's just like the old, it's just the- Just the old hag. Old stories of like sleep paralysis where, yeah. you know, uh, some people interpret it as like an- a witch, you know, sitting on their chests, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the, where, like the term nightmare comes from like, oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. This horse that people use like, like legend of like, like mm-hmm. be, but always on your chest, always like a weight on your chest, usually a woman or an animal, a beast of some kind like a gremlin in this. It, it, it is um, pretty fascinating that, you know, you go back throughout uh, various cultures and throughout history and there is just, you know, lots of mythology around what this thing might be. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, those experiments of that. They say that, uh, at a certain, it's like a sleep malfunction and it's been so long. I mean, I can't like regurgitate just like the science, uh, without looking, looking it up, uh-huh. but that it's, they were able to like replicate it in the laboratory where if they stimulated this one part of your brain, mm-hmm. they could get you to see a figure or think you saw a figure. But oftentimes it wouldn't be on your chest, which is interesting. It would be like near you in your periphery huh. where this is different, where and there's been a lot of these kind of stories of someone feeling that weight mm-hmm. and thinking that they see something on top of them. I know it is so uber specific. Mm-hmm. And actually, since you just said that thing about uh, stimulating one part of your brain, I got an email from somebody not that long ago that was said that there are studies out there that say, and this is good for you to know about mirrors, if you stare at yourself in the mirror for like 
X amount of time, mm -hmm. eventually like your brain gets confused and you it it will start to see things that aren't there. Wait, oh weird. Uh-huh. So it's like, you know, all these like you can kick off these hallucinations. Yeah. And so it made me think about all the creepy mirror stories that we and I want to say it wasn't very long. It was, I mean, it wasn't 10 seconds, sure. but it, it, but it also wasn't 10 minutes. It was like, I don't mm -hmm. know, let's just say four minutes. Like if you stared long enough, eventually your brain is like, what are we doing here? Why are we just staring at ourselves? <laughs> right. And it almost like duplicates you or, so then it made me think about like all these, you know, like things that we think we see in the mirror when we're scared in the night, uh, you yeah. know, doppelganger situations where you think that you're here and your shadow is not moving with you it's mm -hmm. like it could just be a hallucination that your that your brain has manufactured yeah that's that's that kind of stuff is almost scarier to me than paranormal possibilities yeah uh, there's so much we don't know that we're still finding out about our brains mm -hmm. and how our minds can trick us like i would i would much much rather see definitive proof of some kind of monstery apparition and know that that stuff is out there yeah than not be able to trust my own mind anymore oh and see powerful hallucinations and not know when I might see that again. That's scary to me to not trust myself. Well, I think that in this situation, in this example that I'm giving, it's like, it's a scientific study that says if you stare in the mirror for X yeah, amount yeah, of minutes. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it's like, well, I can absolutely trust my brain because I can set a timer. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm not trying. I'm not even being specific on that. That was just an example of how like uh, we're finding things out about our brain. Yeah. And then my fear would be like, you know. Like an Alzheimer's kind of thing. Not even, yeah, just, just like random, like schizophrenia, you know, like, you know, different yeah. like mental illness, but like just that your brain can, the fact that your brain can manufacture images that aren't there, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just that in and of itself yeah. is, is scary to me. And yeah, you can learn the science and, you know, but, um, but it I, still freaks me out. I think that the paranormal scares me more because that is not something that is studied in a lab and that's not something mm -hmm. that you can point to facts about you you can yeah. try but you can't really prove it where at least with even if it is schizophrenia or some horrible disease like alzheimer's yeah at, at least then i know that there is science behind it now i might lose my mind like literally not be in control of my mind anymore yeah but in the early phases of diseases like that generally speaking you do have some awareness i mean mm. i think for me the fear is that long term you no longer are in touch with reality yeah but i think like, I don't know, they just feel so separate to me because it's yeah. like right now, specifically, yeah. my brain works perfectly. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm as mentally healthy as I'm ever going to be, all those things. So I can read a study and yeah. know that it's backed by science and mm -hmm. I trust science almost explicitly where it's like paranormal. I don't have any real scientific proof about it. So in yeah. a healthy state of mind, I would prefer to know the science and, and trust that like, yeah, my brain might go crazy one day, but that's science as opposed to like, Eh? Or you might see a demon, but like we don't have any real proof of that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, for, I for that me, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, for me, I would just, I would rather know that I'm in control of my mind. I can trust my mind. Uh, if I'm seeing things that they're there, mm -hmm. even if those things are terrible, I, I would, mm -hmm. I would rather have that experience. I would rather know that there is terrible things that science doesn't understand. Yeah. Than to start to have my mind unravel. Hmm. Even you know, unravel within a known illness, you know, yeah. Alzheimer's, whatever. Yeah. No, no thanks. I, I would rather have my mind fully intact yeah. until I die. Even if that means I see things that are uh scary, that you know, like oh, entity yeah. type stuff. But nobody can support the fact that like you're definitely seeing something that's not there. I guess that's what scares me about like the paranormals. It's like you can't prove it. 
Well, well, yeah, again, if I saw something with other people. Or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, it would take yeah. so much more where I'm like, ah, there's like hundreds of scientists in a lab that proved that this is a real thing. So, yeah, my brain's going crazy, but, it, but it's real. The, mm, the, cra- that, that, the crazy no, things no are real. There's no comfort in that for me. Like like Ugh. knowing that this is a known thing. Yeah. But, but that's almost worse. It's like, oh, I know this is going to be terrible and I'm going to mm-hmm. like live out my worst fear mm. of having my mind go. Um, I would much rather know that my mind is solid mm-hmm. and then not know why I saw the things I saw. Oh, to me, that's more scary because then I'm like, am I going crazy right now? Like, did I actually see that thing? Is, okay, yeah, let me clarify then. What's waiting for me on the other side? Like, I just- That's would, the thing. Like, like uh, if, if there was a magical way, just for yeah. argument's sake, just to be very clear about what I'm trying to say. Yeah. To, to the things that like your mind is, you're not losing your mind. To yeah. know somehow- doesn't matter how. Sure. For sure you're not losing your mind. Mm-hmm. And you for sure are seeing things yeah. that science can't explain. Yeah. I would rather have that than to know I'm losing my mind. Yeah. I'm more of a control freak. So that that sounds like more out of control for me. Hmm. And so that just like scares me more. Yeah. 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 And, and then what they were referencing early on, I, I, you know, I didn't look this up, but the the La- Laotian, it's the Hmong. It's the Hmong people. H, I might be not pronouncing it right, but it's oh, H. Isn't it like H-M- H-M- Yeah. H-M-O-N-G. Yeah. The Hmong people, it's a, you know, ethnic group that, uh, you know, lived in several parts of Southeast Asia or lives. Most of them, I think, after like Vietnam or like in the U.S. actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, That sounds familiar. I'm remembering some of this yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. They were based primarily in what is Laos now. Mm-hmm. But there was some kind of in the 70s, I want to say 70s and 80s. I don't know if they called it a sleeping sickness maybe. Oh, but they yeah, were having yeah, yeah. they were having these dreams, and when people started to have these dreams, there was a fear that they would die. That you die, you would die from your nightmares. But there was yeah. a belief amongst uh, some, you know, Hmong people that these nightmares could kill you. I forgot and about then, that. And then whoever wrote the original Nightmare in Elm Street was familiar with some news mm-hmm. articles and familiar with that lore, and that was inspiration for Freddy Krueger. Good job, good good memory. Yeah, yeah, just sparked that. I was just like, yeah, wait a minute, like, wait a minute, what is that? that? Yeah. I know it's so hard not to like pull yourself out of the story and be like, hold on a second. Let mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I just had to write like Hmong uh, in, my, in my hand. Yeah. I wondered what you wrote down over there. Well, fun stories. Yeah, that's yeah. It. That, mm-hmm. And that's it. See you, 2022. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. Uh, wait, 22, uh, 2022, mixed bag. But so much good uh, as well. We're so thankful that we, uh, you know, a lot of the good was the, the fans we have on these shows. And we, we made it out of the year with our health intact. Yes. So very thankful for a lot of 2022. A lot of drama for us. More than more drama than usual for us in the background. But also so much know, good. Our life is generally quite boring. It's just like work, kids, boring, work, boring's great. kids. Boring is great. And this year was not that. And it was like, whoa, how do people live with so much we got, drama? We got spoiled. Yeah. Uh, do you want to thank some Annabelles? Sure. I would love to thank some Annabelles. Dan, thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, to, uh, I'm sorry. I was looked down at spoopy shoutouts. My bad. Uh, I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Hope to see you here next year. Matt Rivera, Jordan Baxter, Yvonne Richards, Pugglestat0713. That's funny. <laughs> Drew Despin, Cheyenne, Christy Schwartz, Randy Mendoza86, JC Doro, The Robison Family, Dina Rowell, Valak. Ooh, Valak Demanun, Emily Barnett, Leah Boss. Fuck yeah, nice. I, want, I want my last name to be Boss. Leah Boss. Joshua motherfucking Jenkins. <laughs> Briar, Brooke McCormick, Bradford Longington, Demir M. Oh man, stage stunts. Hmm. I, th- I think it's like a S-T-G-S-T-U-N. 
TZ all smashed together. Okay, Stage yeah. stunts. Uh, and Brianna Hodge. Brianna Hodge. 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 Uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles as well. Xavion Monroe, Einar, Jared, Vahur, Kelly, McGurn. And thank you, Einar. I think Einar. it's Zared. Isn't it like Jared Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. You know what? It's funny. I read the pronunciation instead of the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, good catch. It's Einar Zared Vahur. And thank you, Einar, for the uh, pronunciation guide. And then Kelly McGurn, Kathleen Hernandez, Lindsay Flores. Great name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rebecca Ray, Samantha Bobbitt. Zach Fleming, Jacob Tabasinski, or Tabasinski, Liz Jones, Regina McKinney, Sarah, wow, uh, Sarah Zen, maybe just Zen Fenning. It's like, that's a, I've never seen a name like that. Z E H N P F E N N I N G. I bet it's Zen Fenning. Zen, yeah, Zen Fenning. Sarah Zen Fenning. Clint Best, Mr. Best. Mr. Best. Ma- I want Mr. Best and Miss Boss to get together. <laughs> uh, Matthew Van Valkenburg. That, is, that, is that Dutch? Van Valkenburg. That's a fucking strong name. <laughs> I don't know. Will Chill Lover 69. Oh, okay, made up. Because uh, <laughs> they, they, they wrote W H I L L E, and I'm like, what? Uh, Megan Arnold, Cody Frazier, Cheyenne uh, Ockridge, or Acreage. I always, I always like the name Cheyenne. It's a cool name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, reminds me of like westerns. Of course, I, I thought that's where that was going. Lauren Graham and Carmelo Mabry. Also, I've always liked the name Carmelo, but oh. uh, but maybe I really when Carmelo Anthony, a basketball player, was early on, he just always seemed like a good dude. But I, and that was the thing, my introduction to that name. But like Carmelo has a nice sound to it. <laughs> Funny. Is that all of yours? That's all. I think we should start playing matchmaker like at random. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like Mr. Best and Miss Boss, they're. Mm-hmm. They're going to get married. I see Car- and they have I to see- find each other. They have to find each other and okay. go on a date. I want to see Carmelo and Cheyenne. Okay. All right. You guys find good, each other. Good pairing. Because here's the thing. They could find each other on Patreon. You could just like. <laughs> <laughs> just like some weird. Like, mm-hmm. like, okay. If you become a patron, you have to start identifying as like. You have to put like an SI mm-hmm. if you're single. Like an MA if you're married. An SW ah. if you're a swinger. Like <laughs> we could come up with okay. all these different variations and start making matches for people. I, I want uh, I want a Xavion Monroe to take uh, Van Valkenburg. Xavion Van Valkenburg. <sighs> That's, That's it. like a fucking Game of Thrones character. That's great. I have yeah. Bradford Longington. Who do you have that would be a good match for Bradford Long- Longington? Yeah. Brad Longington. Uh, I know. Regina Longington. Okay, that could be good. Bradford Bobbitt. Bradford Bobbitt Longington. <laughs> God. We could get really good at this. Do you have any spooby shout-outs, Matchmaker? <laughs> I, I do. Uh, just two this week. Okay. To Heaven from Sean, happy birthday. You're so amazing. To Vince from Kate, happy 27th birthday. I love you more. Oh, cute. That's it. Just just two little baby ones. And that's our show, and that's our year. See ya. Thanks for rating and reviews. Uh, the ratings and reviews lately, uh, they always do help us find new listeners. Always so appreciated. Uh, thanks for continuing to send in these personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. And you can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith and Tyler C. for their work on social media. And to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Tyler and I were talking before the show about people mispronouncing his last name, which is funny to me. How do you mess that up? Because it's S E A, like the C. Uh, Sia. Sia. That's, that's hilarious because like, when, when we hired Tyler, people would be like, oh, did you hire a new person? I'm like, yeah. Oh, what's his name? Tyler C. Like, not and the letter. Want, oh, I, would, yeah. I would literally say, like, not the letter, but like the ocean, a mm-hmm. body of water. <laughs> right. And they were like, Huh. Looking at me like, why did you need to explain that? Uh, thanks to Tyler C. for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. 
and to our book editor, Drew Atana, for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four. Thanks to producers Sarah Finch and Olivia Lee for finding both of the stories I told this week. You can subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you'd like to watch the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared to Death Podcast if you want more content and to see the pictures that accompany the episodes. And you can check out our private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers. You can follow us on TikTok, also at Scared to Death Podcast. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes and more, you can find us on Patreon. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Happy New Year, and hope you are scared to death. See you next year. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. You know where I bet that happens a lot? Italy. <laughs> In Italy. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.